Once we understand the idea of Tzimtzum, which is so fundamental, and that mankind actually does, you can you regulate, you've got the dial that actually regulates how much God is in the Bria or not, and only a Jew does that, as I explained. Because only the one that the Roshan made the agreement with, which is Avram Ravino, Brisbane Absalom, the agreement was Tzimtzum. That, and you understand that. The agreement is that every time you do what I want to do, I will get closer to you. And every time you will do not what I want you to do, I will get far from you. Only the person who enters the agreement, that's called a, a, a Ben Bris, only the one who's in that agreement can do that kind of regulation. Who's ever outside the agreement, doesn't. A good cannot affect one iota of the Hester or the Ha'or of the Rebbein And if he realized that every time Jews did Chatoim, which I'll explain, the God gets further away from the Bria, in terms of our perception, right? And more, many things happen to the universe as a result, tremendous destructions, then Goyim would appoint two Goyim for each Jew to make sure he does the mitzvahs. They realize what he controlled. Okay, that's what Chazal means. But anyway, Goyim Vaita. That's how fundamental this is. Now, Goyim Vaita. The next thing we have to begin understanding, okay, we understand now that there's such a thing called restriction of God's presence. And we understand all the way down that man himself can control that restriction. Okay? And that itself influences the amount or kind of being he is. If he's a perfect or imperfect. And since the reversion of putting man in a given, he made him imperfect. So he he's at 20. So now he's got to get back to 50, which is the entire shlemus of the Adam, by his own acts. Okay. The next thing to understand is the beginning of the understanding of what it's all about. And now we finally begin to enter. And this is the introduction. And many of the shurim will be the elaboration of this introduction. The idea of what we are masig of the Rebbein Shalom. What do we realize, oh God? What do we realize in Olim Haba? What happens in Olim Haba? I mentioned it briefly previously, but now I really have to explain it better. What goes on in Olim Haba? which is a very fascinating idea. The answer to that very simply is that you experience God directly. Somehow, you are going to experience Rebbein And since He is perfect, as I had mentioned previously, it follows that in Him is the greatest source of pleasure. And knowing God is the greatest source of pleasure. It's a byproduct. It's incredible pleasure. And that's what Tzadikim and Avim feel when they are closer to Rebbein Anyway, so therefore, that's what the Rosh is going to give, he, uh, some kind of idea or experiencing of God. Now that is called Hasoga. You comprehend something about the Rebbein Shalom, and that is your state in the Ilam Habo. forever and ever. And since God is infinite, in, it takes infinity to be masig to Rebbein in terms of what He is. It's endless. Now, the question of course is, what are you masig? What do you, what do you know about God? Now, not only is that a question, but it becomes difficult because God is not knowable, if you recall I mentioned. God is not knowable as a being. We cannot know Him in His essence. We will never know Him. Only He knows Himself. That's a fundamental rule. Because the version is so different than our universe that it's not knowable. And I, ex- I explained before why. But anyway, now, he, just to reiterate, He's not knowable. He completely transcends all the ideas of this universe. Now, if that's the case, that he's not knowable, then what can we know about it? What do we must about the Rebbein The answer is there is only one thing that's knowable. And that's because you can know it by its opposite. Now, for instance, 
the idea of the revolutionary's oneness that what does oneness mean that god is one now oneness means when we say that the revolutionary is one we mean really two ideas that god is the sole power of the bria that there is nothing that he has to worry about when he wants to do something even kishof magic nothing can go on without the complete haskoma of the Rabbani Shalom. And not only that, but God has to bring it into being, even if we're to be in the first place. When we say that God's will ultimately dominates, it doesn't mean because His will is He's stronger than you, so He can bend you. Your whole opposing will has itself to be given existence by the Rabbani Shalom, or else it wouldn't be. God gives existence even to an opposing will. So obviously, there is no force other than God that has any existence whatsoever. So there's nothing that the revolution has to be worried about. He is a complete authority in terms of his ability, his force. There is no, there is no contrary force whatsoever. That's the first idea. That's called Yichud Shlitosoi. Yichud means the complete oneness of his power, of his force. And the second idea is called Yichud Mitzi the oneness of his being, that nothing else exists at all besides him, even after creation. And you remember I told you, when Moshe Rabbeinu says, Atta Reis you have been shown, and Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to Kali Yisrael now, after everything was created, not before. So Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the Kali Yisrael, Kali Yisrael, there is, no, there is nothing besides God now, because I'm talking now. He's telling me something now. Now, of course, we don't understand how that is, because we, we, as far as we know, of course, obviously, we have existence, okay? But the truth, or the emiss of it, is that the only thing that really exists is God. We do not exist like Him, okay? And I gave the example of a dream and a dreamer previously, what that sort of means. But in other words, even our existence is not real like his is. And I explained that in previous shurim. Now, if that's the case, now, so therefore, the idea of oneness means two ideas. One is that he is the only force, one force, and two, he's the only one being. Yichud shlitosoi and Yichud mitziusoi, that there is no other being. Besides no other force. Obviously, Yichud Shiltosa, there's no other force, follows in the fact there's no other being. If nobody else, obviously there's no other force. One follows. But this, I mentioned there's two ideas. That there's a Yichud Shiltosa, there is no other being, force than God. And Yichud Mitzusa, there's no other being. Now, those two ideas, strangely enough, can be understood indirectly. What's the opposite of oneness? The answer is multiplicity or plurality. If we say, what's the opposite of one? Many. That's the opposite of one. So, what the Rabbani Shalom does, he says, look, I will enable you to understand, or be masig, my yichod, you know how? I will create plurality. I will be mastier, hide my metzius, that I'm the only one, and I'm going to hide the fact that I'm, on the only, I'm the only force. I'm going to create what looks like many forces and many beings. Okay? And ultimately, by negating all these different forces, all the different religions and all the, all the different Rishoyim and evil and self, 
all these different things, you come to the conclusion that there is no other force and there is no other being but the Rabbi Islam. That Hasaga, that God is only one, can be realized by removing multiplicity. No matter there is only one. Whereas I can understand oneness by knowing that there is no many. No matter one remains. Okay? So therefore, we cannot understand the Rabbi in a positive sense. I can know nothing about his essence, his strength, his power, or whatever. His toiv, his chesed, nothing I can know about him. But I can know the fact that he is only one by negating an illusionary universe that he creates and negating that whole universe. And all of a sudden, I'm massing his oneness. So it comes out that the only thing you could be massing about God is the fact that he is one. He is one in force, shlita, power, rulership, and he is one in being, which sees. So the version creates an illusionary universe, or he creates an entire creation, and since in order to create that creation, he has to hide himself, right? That hiddenness immediately creates multiplicity and plurality of forces and beings. And you look around you, everybody thinks that he is somebody, and everybody thinks that he has control of whatever he's doing. You know, that's in, in, on a company, there's an incredible proliferation of that illusion that everybody thinks he's somebody, independent of God, and everybody thinks he's a koyach b'fnei I made a million dollars because I did it. God had nothing to do with this. So in the end, all this will be dissolved, this whole illusion. This multiplicity and plurality of people thinking that there's somebody's and forces and so on, immediately is dissolved. And the being left, the individual, automatically is mastic that there is nothing. There is no Matthias or Shlita but the revelation himself. That Hasoga, which is reached by a negation of the opposite of oneness, right, is the Hasoga Ilam Habo. That's what you're massing. Only that. Because you can't massing any of God's positive attributes. Only, his, only the idea of oneness. And that itself you understand because you negate all plurality. So you understand that really indirectly. But in Ilam Habo, you are massing what's called Yehudai. You are massing his oneness. And the Hasagra itself produces with it an, an infinite kind of toil or pleasure that's not describable, okay? And when you're massing that, that, and not, uh, that is Olam Habor. And the full understanding of his oneness itself is infinite, okay? It is to understand that he is one itself inquires an infinite amount of time. It sounds simple. But apparently the idea of unity itself has an infinite amount of different categories that one must dispel in order to arrive at the idea of his oneness. Okay? So you what the person is masig in Ilam Habo is the only thing he can be masig of the Islam, and that is his unity. And you are masig Yichud Shlitosai and Yichud Mitsiusai. Okay? In Ilam Habo, that asogra is what you a person experiences in Ilam Habo. Okay? Now, if that's the case, then what the Rabbanu did is he did something which is only unique to him. He now is going to create an entire Bria or universe based on the idea of oneness. Now, what does that all mean? Forget about it. I'm going to now just go over certain of the ideas that is based on the idea of oneness. And the rest of the weeks will be trying to explain how, how he does that. Or how, how, does it, how does it work? Where do we see the principle of oneness and everything? But just as an interesting list, 
the idea of Yichud, which is Shlitan and Mitzius, the idea of unity or his oneness is the fundamental principle, and it's really a principle. I'm not here, I'm not dashing something which is, you know, sounds like a nice drush. This is real. It's not, it's not, it's nice to hear a it's not a vortera, you know, a convenience, you know, until next week I'll change my mind and say something else. No, there's, there's no iron polymer Torah here. There's no 70 ways of dashing Torah. This is the fundamental idea. Now, the first idea we can say that's determined by his unity is the fact, of course, of the reward itself. The schah that mankind receives, or more specifically, Judaism. And that I explained to a certain extent. The next thing that's founded on that principle is the avoider, the actual task. And I hope I have time to go through that, which it looks like I won't. The next idea is the task or the mitzvahs themselves, how they reflect unity. Okay? The third is the entire idea of the situation of reality. That reality is so based on the fundamental principle of unity. Now, I know you don't understand what I'm talking about, but I still want to say it. I want to go through the different ideas of what it means, and then I'll be explaining each one. Don't worry, I'll, you know, I'll try to deliver what I'm promising. But I just want to give you the comprehensive scope of what it encompasses, okay? So we've got the schah, we've got the avrida, and we've got the matzav of the bria. This fourth situation of the bria, of the creation. Schah is reward, reward. The second is the avrida, the, the actual task of man. The third idea is the matzav of the Bria, the situation of the entire creation. It looks this way because of Yichud, which I'll explain. The next idea is the tzura, the structure of the universe, is such because of Yichud. Means everything looks way, not the situation, but the whole inner structure within the situation, which I'll explain, is that way because of Yichud. The fifth idea is the derech, the method that we must investigate the reality, the true method, is based on Yichud. The sixth idea is that the progression of history completely follows Yichud, which is something that you really have to understand, which is fascinating. That is the ultimate principle of history, not the economic interpretation or political interpretation or military interpretation, or what everybody else is trying to interpret as the reasons why history proceeds the way it does. The real interpretation is Yichud, and we'll understand how, like where it's marumas and the turn and so on. Okay? What was that? Six. Six. Okay. Uh, yeah. The next idea, the seventh idea, is the entire idea of the Mashiach and what he's supposed to do as a result of all this historical progression. That's the seventh, a complete understanding of what the Mashiach is doing. The eighth idea is the fundamental drive in mankind, psychological drive is the eighth. Okay. The ninth is the fundamental conflict of man. The tenth is what the Sitra Akhra does. What does he do? What's his whole objective? And it's only one. It looks like there's many, but there's only one thing he's trying to do. And that's also from Yehudah, uh, in terms of what the Sitra Akhra is supposed to do. In addition, what the entire imperfection of the Bria in mankind is, and we begin to understand that because I stated some of the imperfection of man, is Yehudah, but what the imperfection of the Bria is, the next idea is what the entire creation, uh, uh, correction of the imperfection is. And the next idea is the most, well, that's what it's been explained, is what the most fundamental operation in the Bria is. And sort of like, the last idea is what the entire acts of God is designed to do. The whole rationale of the Rebbeinu Shlodah. All these ideas are Tolle and Yichud. 
that's what it all, believe it or not, it's almost like everything is totally yichad. And uh, uh, during the other shum, they're trying to unfold how it really happens. How everything is really based on what you're supposed to be masig in the first place in the Habo. Okay? Now, let's begin. I already explained, let's, the first one I already explained was Schar. That the idea of his oneness, which is the only thing that can be understood, that God is one, right? But oneness means the oneness that he is the only force and that he is the only being, that itself will be understood in Olam Habo. And that's what we experience in Olam Habo. Okay? Now, that's the Schar itself. The second idea is the Avoida, the task of mankind. Now, in order to understand that better, the Rishon did what's really incredible. And I'll show, uh, uh, he created the entire universe based on the idea of Yichud, which is really mind-boggling. How you can have so many billions of different ideas all emanating from one. Okay, but that's typical God one. Because oneness means whatever God does is one. Right? There's no multiplicity in activities of the Ramon From us, it looks like there are many rationales. But there's only one rationale. So therefore, it makes sense that a being who is one, he acts in one way. There's no two ways. Therefore, everything would be based on Yichud. That's, that's why it logically emanates from that. Now, what is the Avruida? The Avruida is that task which has been given to man to complete the 20 to the 50. That's what the Avruida is. That is the mechanism that enables mankind, or specifically Jews, to be mashlim or perfect himself to get back to the 50. Now, we know that task really not as one but as three, although most people think it's only one. The, obviously, the task of a Jew is mitzvahs, correct? So therefore, the mitzvah itself is the task, right? But if you recall what I had mentioned way back in the, in the Shum, that the version made not one way, not one task or one mechanism, he made two more with a totality of three. There are three independent methods that will be mashlam you, okay? And the reason why he made three is because he's a merdibar chesed. Because if you only have one way to get there, there's, you know, the probability is you may not make that way. So he provides another two. What are the other two? The second way is called tshuva, and the third way is called yisurin. There are three fundamental ideas or ways that a man actually can get Udim Habo. Either mitzvahs, tshuva, or yisurin. And each one of those three ways actually are the same. They all do the same thing. Now, I want to mention one idea before we begin to understand how they operate. And that is, the Rabbanishlam decided that your task and his reward will be the exact same thing. And I'll give you an example. What happens if I say, look, I'm an, uh, uh, I have a lot of money, I want somebody to build me a house, right? So I go over to the architect and say, look, you know, contract, whatever, you build me a house. And, okay, and if you build it for me, I'll give you $100,000. Okay, architect gets every, contractor gets everything done, house is now standing, and I give him $100,000, right? Now, is the task and the reward that the contractor gets the same thing? No. The, the task was to build a house. The reward is money. I mean, it's two different ideas. Because he gets the money because he builds a house. But it's not the same idea, you see? The task is not the same as the reward. The task is he builds the house, and the reward is he gets the money. Okay. What the Russian wants to do is he doesn't want this 
plurality of task and reward. He wants the same. And now what does that look like? Okay, let me give you a new task. I take you all with me to Fort Knox. Okay, that's where all the gold is stashed, for those that don't know. And I say, okay, I give each one of you a wheelbarrow. Those that can handle wheelbarrows. Or, you know, whatever, pickup trucks. And I say, your job, and I open up the vaults, okay? Your job is to clean out those vaults. Now, that's a very happy job. I'm sure many people would like to engage in that. So, therefore, that's your job. And I'll give you three hours to do it. And, of course, you obviously would not be thinking about anything during those three hours, right? There's nothing that you would, your whole being would completely express itself in getting as much gold as possible, right? That's your job. And after three hours is done, you, you're all tired, and you turn to me and say, okay, now what's my payment? And I turn around and say, the gold you gathered. Your gold that you gathered is your payment. What does that mean? That means the mechanism, which means gathering the gold, has a certain effect. It means you gathered gold, right? What's the reward? The gold you gathered. There's no independent, I don't give you something for that. I just say, keep what you took. And of course, if you were lazy and goofing off, you're, not, you're the one who's going to eat yourself up alive why you didn't get no gold. It's, you're responsible for your reward. As much gold as you can collect, that's what you get. You collect less, you get less gold. I have nothing to do with it. I merely say, I point to the treasure and I say, go, dig. That's what you The treasure itself is the reward, is the task. I mean, it's the same thing, you know. There's no independent acts. The Roshan did the same thing exactly when he said that your reward and your avoid is the same thing. How did he do it? What did he say? He said that the avoider, and what do we say the avoider are? There are three kinds of avoider. The mitzvahs, tshuva, and yeshua, right? Any one of those three is gathering gold. And the gold that you gathered is exactly what you will experience, or you will get. Now, let me put it down in more concrete terms. That was just the idea that the reward and the task is the exact same thing. How does it work in reality? Okay, let's, t- let's take a mitzvah. And then you really begin to see what the mitzvahs you do, what they really mean. Let's take a mitzvah, okay? Any mitzvah in the Torah, you know? Let's say the mitzvah eating trade, you know? Let's say you're dead tired. Let's say you walked around, you're up, you're up in Manhattan somewhere, and you're knocked out, and because you've been so involved during the day, you just didn't have time to eat. So it's 6 o'clock and you're in the middle of Midtown or Uptown or wherever, you know, and you're starving the whole day and you're literally starving, you know, and you walk by, you walk by a restaurant which is Treif, and this tremendous aroma comes out and you're overtaken by this aroma, okay? Now at that point in time, you begin thinking, now, well, should I enter this restaurant? Now, uh, obviously, it's not a conflict for most people to eat Treif or not. I'm merely giving an example, you know? A person could begin thinking, well, should I eat this or not? I mean, I'm starving, right? And I'd like to eat the trefus, right? Or name, I don't want to eat this, because originally you're not allowed to eat trefus, right? So therefore, what's the immediate or the superficial understanding of the task? Do you want to eat trefus, or you not want to eat trefus? That's really what the task is. At that moment in time, the task is, do you want to eat trefus, or you not want to eat trefus? Okay. But that's really a superficial understanding of the task. In other words, do you want to do the mitzvah, which is eating trefus, or you don't want to do the mitzvah, okay, eating or not eating trefus? That's the first rung of the ladder in our understanding of a mitzvah. But there's something deeper than that. And with that depth, we begin to understand what the true avoider is. The second level is, wait a minute, 
The conflict is if I want is not if I want to eat trefus or not. The conflict really is: Do I want to do what I want to do, or do I want to do what he wants me to do? It's a battle of will. Of course, but the will expresses itself in the fact that I get hungry. I mean, there's, I, there's no way you can battle God with wills if there isn't if there was nothing you didn't want to do. So the fact that you're hungry is merely the hechitimsa, is merely the way you could express your will and say, I want that. You need a that or there's no class of wills. Your hunger provides the that. That's what I want, right? But the real idea is it's really a battle of wills. Do I want to do what I want to do, namely eat that, because that's what I want to do, or do I want to do what he wants me to do? And go home and we'll have to wait an hour and a half till I get home on the train and then eat, right? And I gotta make the meal and so on, right? Uh, it's a battle of will. Whose rotsen are you gonna do? His rotsen or your rotsen? That's the second level. Uh, of what every mitzvah is part of. Now, have we reached the bottom? No. Because it's a more fundamental level. And when you get to that level, you've hit the bottom. You know what that level is? Wait a minute, let's again, what's the conflict? The more fundamental is something even, which is very obvious once you hear it, but you realize how rock bottom is. What's the battle? First, do I want to eat trefus or not? That's the initial battle. But the real battle is, do I want to do what I want to do, or do I want to do what he wants to do? That's the second battle, right? But there's a third battle. And that is, do I want to eat trefus? Therefore, I want to do my will, right? And what's the significance if I do my will that I am an independent being than the revolutionary because only an independent being has a can say I have my will or me I don't want to eat Trefus means I want to do his will why because he is the only thing that has being therefore only his will exists and if I want to do something it's merely an illusion to fool me that I have a, a separate independent will of his it's you're down at Yeshu Nevada or Enid Nevada. Enid Nevada means there is nothing besides the Rebbeinu so it's preposterous to do what I want to do. Or name Yeshu Nevada. Besides God, there's also me. I also exist independent. And if that's the case, I also have a real independent will. So I'll do what I want to do. So the three levels of the hierarchy of what goes on in every mitzvah. Well, the, the statement, when you testify when you do a mitzvah and avera is one or the other. When you do an avera, what you testify to, is number one, you did the avera. Number two, you did your will, you, what you want to do, your will. But number three, that you are an independent being, and there is an independent watson than the Rebbein That truly exists. I'm somebody also. I don't have to listen to you. I'm also somebody. That's what it means. If I'm somebody, if I also have an independent existence, then I can do what I want. Then therefore, I want to do my will, which means eating the, the, the trefer. If, however, you feel that you are nothing, absolutely nothing, okay, that the truth is that your whole existence and your will and drives and everything itself is an illusion to fool you, as if they would be independent of God, and therefore you think that you could choose, if what a person does a mitzvah, what he's really saying is that I want to do the mitzvah, not eat trefus. I want to do the rotsen of the Rebbeinu Shlomo. But the more fundamental statement or testimony is that only God's will exists. There is no other will. And the will that I have is merely an illusion 
that I should think that there's something independent. That's what means. There is nothing besides the Rabbi Yishlam. And what does Einoid Nuvadeh mean? What is that? What is the words? So the fundamental conflict is Yeshid Nuvadeh or Einoid Nuvadeh. So if there's Yeshid Nuvadeh, you have a Rotson. If there's Einoid Nuvadeh, there is no Rotson. Really. And if you have a Rotson, you, you eat Trefus. And if you have no Rotson, you do the Mitzvah. Okay? That is the fundamental structure of all Mitzvahs or anything the Rabbi told you to do. Is always down at the bottom. Do you have independent mitzvahs of being? Therefore, you have independent will. If you can do what you want, or you have no independent being. Therefore, you have no independent will. Therefore, you have to do what he wants. But the Russian gave you free will, and he created the illusion as if you could do what you wanted. <coughs> so, what's the fundamental conflict? Yeshayim Nevada. Besides God, there's somebody else. Nevada. Besides God, there is nobody else. That's the fundamental conflict, right? But wait a minute. What was the reward? What do you masigenelim habo? What do you masigenelim about? His oneness. What is his oneness? His yichud, right? You masig the oneness of his force and the oneness of his being. That's eneid nevade. Isn't that eneid nevade? When you are masig God's oneness, what are you really being masig? There is nothing else. There's no other force and there's no other being. But isn't that why I just said the Avreda was? That's what the Avreda is. That every time you do a mitzvah, you are fundamentally stating Eina Nevadeh. So the Rosham says, every time you state Eina Nevadeh, that Eina Nevadeh, you get Meinam Habo. That's the goal. You got that goal, which is Eina Nevadeh, keep it. That's what I'll give you in Eina that idea that you just reached, that Eine Mavadei, you even masik that idea of Eine Mavadei in Eine The exact same thing. In other words, it comes out that the Avodah itself is a testimony to either the uniqueness, the oneness of God, or the multiplicity of beings. It's one or the other. That's what every mitzvah does. So if you do a mitzvah, you are saying that there is no multiplicity of beings, there's no multiplicity of wills, there's no multiplicity of actions that I should do something contrary to yours. Therefore, God says, okay, that idea that you negated multiplicity, that you understood my oneness, you will be masik that oneness in Edom Habo. That's exactly what you get. When you do that there, and you proclaim, when you do that every time a person does an Avera, he proclaims what? That there are more than one will. That there are more than one being. So he's saying, Yeshed Nevadeh, there's besides God, there are others. So God says, okay, that exact thing that you declared, that there is multiplicity of being, you stay with that multiplicity. You don't get to understand my oneness, which means that you get less of the true Olam Haba, the true Torah. It's mamish, an exact copy, where the Avedah is exactly the Shah. There's no difference. And that's how every mitzvah, no matter what it is, every tzivoy, has those fundamental conflicts. The battle of the mitzvah, the avera, superficially. More fundamentally, it's the battle of the wills. But on the most fundamental level, it's the battle of existence per se. Your statement about the fact that you are somebody, and therefore God, you and God are somebody, together, independently, or that you are nobody, 
before God only exists. And that idea, when you understand now, once you begin to understand that, so therefore, one understands that what's the greatest level you can achieve is an individual who does all mitzvahs, correct? But when you do mitzvahs constantly, what do you declare all the time? Ain't <clears throat> it Right? You are completely making your will to conform to his, to coincide with his, and you're doing it 20, 24 hours a day, so you become what's called, what is somebody who does something only what the other person wants? What's that called? A slave, an evid. What's the great, what is, when Revelation wanted to praise Moshe, what did he call him? Moshe, Avdi, David, Avdi, Avram, Avdi. Why does Revelation call people his, his servants? Because that is the essence of the whole Avodah, to be a servant. What is a servant? A servant doesn't do what he wants to do. He doesn't exercise an independent will. He does completely what the will of his master. That's the difference between an Odoin. Why is the Revelation called Adoi, the Shem, Adni? Why? Because that's the whole purpose of it all. Even the name of God that God decides to call himself tells you what you're supposed to do. That he's supposed to wind up being Ado, Adni, and you're supposed to wind up being the opposite, which is Evet. The devotion even calls himself by what you're supposed to do. That's how fundamental it is. So therefore, he is supposed to remain the Odin. We're supposed to recognize his Adnus. And we're supposed to become his Evet. That's why reversion calls the greatest level a Jew reaches is Avdus. That's the Tachas of the Bria. And that's the Tachas of the Avedo to become an Evet. When you do God's will, you are in essence doing what an Evet does. And if you are an Evet, then you will be Masik his Adnus in Ulam Habo. You will be Masik his Yichud in Ulam Habo. It's a, it, it's a homo, there is no plurality even in this picture. It's only oneness. The, uh, that, that's the idea of harmony and hashkafa. That it's all one and the same. The schai is unity or oneness. The avodah is oneness too. That ultimately your masig is oneness. That's why, and the state of being masig is oneness is called an eved. And therefore he refers to himself as an adon. Ado, adni. Okay? So therefore that's essentially what the avodah is doing. Now. I told you that there was only one idea called mitzvahs. What about tshuva? What is tshuva? Tshuva is the same exact idea. When you do tshuva, what are you saying? That what I did was wrong. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a correction. It's an undoing of your will. What I did is wrong. I did the avera. Right? So therefore, you say I was wrong and I will no more do it again. What are you really saying? The same thing the Chathila, the Mitzvah says in the first place. That only His will exist, and therefore only He exists. Therefore, you will have to do completely what He wants. And that's what Tshuva is. So Tshuva is a secondary method of what? Of testifying to His oneness. You see? It's a secondary method, but it, it has the exact same idea. It testifies to His oneness. Now, what's Yisurim? Yisurim is a third method. But how? How does Yisurim testify to his oneness? Right? How, and therefore, how does it become a mechanism? Because remember, the mechanism must include in itself the idea of testifying to his oneness. And the exact amount that you testified, that's the oneness you get in my ball. That's the seed of all mechanisms. So I explained what it means in terms of mitzvahs, 
what it means in terms of tshuva, how do we understand his oneness in his son? Very simple. When you walk over to a guy, I give you a classic example, you see this guy's a multi-millionaire, right? And of course he got a big coronary heart attack and he's lying in bed. And he's all strung up with 14 different intravenuses going on, you know? You walk over to me, you notice an interesting quality that he's lacking. Until now he's this super confident individual, right? And all of a sudden he's lying in bed. He's a meek individual, he talks less, doesn't brag as much. You know, he's, he's really restrained in terms of his arrogance. What happened? What happened? Well, the greatest, um, the greatest stare, the greatest intrusion of the grandiosity that people have is when their wills are limited. So, does a person want pain? The answer is no. What happens if a person gets pain against his will? What does that prove to the person? Will is nothing. That right. you thought you were God? That, no, forget about the fact that there's another will. Let's first talk about His will. It shows that you who thought you were the greatest of all, all of a sudden found out that you're strung up there. Well, it's a, you, yet you are completely limited. That your own intelligence is totally on five cents worth of iodine in the thyroid. You think you're this great being. It comes out that the liberation by making or giving tzoros or yisurim and Tzoros is really Yisurim, that's pain, which is what the will of man doesn't want. It's a complete negation and contradiction of his own arrogance, of his own thinking that I am something. So the Rosham just sits and he says, you think you're something? And the Rosham cracks up. It's like what he did to Titus. You know, Titus says, I destroyed the God of the Jews, right? So the Rosham locks the horse from him. He says, I'm going to send you the least of my creations. Okay, the Yiddish, whatever, the Nat, and of course the thing went into his brain and it ate away for seven years, whatever that means. Here's a man who thinks he's God, right? He thinks he's the, the epitome of what there is to be. Yeah. And the Russian sends the least of his significance, right? What do you think that did to Titus? That was a murdic bazillion, that's mervaza, that, 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 that ridiculed Titus. That the Nat, he can't even get rid of a Nat. He's going to get rid of the God of the Jews? That's what the lesson is. It was the version, you know, he, you know, when a person has this grandiosity, these feelings of omnipotence, which is this constant tendency to say, Yeshu Yovadai, I'm somebody too, the version merely sends you tzoros. And the tzoros, what it does, it puts you in your place. You recognize that I'm not what I thought I was, because if I was, I would be able to get rid of all this tzoros myself. But the fact that you can suffer and there's nothing you can do about it is the greatest patching problem to your own abilities in terms of your being. Okay? And therefore, that it, it, that's a shvila. It breaks the quality that you think you're yesha and Now, forget about... Now, even if a person does not come to that Korah that there's a God besides him, but the very fact that this Yeshua breaks his yesh breaks the conflict of Yeshe Nevadoi, forget about that there's somebody else. Itself is a half a kapora. That's self. Because when you testify to God's oneness, the first thing you have to remove is your plurality. Then you begin testifying that He's the only thing left. Right? Even if you work on one half the story, that's also good. That's why a person who gets his suin, right? And let's say he gets his suin and all of a sudden he does tshuva, he doesn't need as much as suin. Because he reached the idea of Eilin Mervadoi just by giving him his son. But you take a Russia who, who, 
who doesn't refuse to re- realize the idea of a God even if he gets sick so Rebbein has to make him sicker to really break to, he has to do more to really break the idea of his yesh the fact that he's somebody so you can minimize your Yisurim by recognizing that besides that I am nothing he is everything and that actually minimizes the Yisurim because Yisurim is merely there just to promote that idea so it comes out that the, uh, the Avoidah is three Avoidahs the Avoidah of Mitzvahs the Avoidah of Tshuva and the Avoidah Yisurim all expressing one idea and that's what makes them the Avoidah what is that? that's called Gili Yehudoi the revelation that only God exists He, it's complete oneness in terms of His force, in terms of His being so in order for a mechanism to work or to be that mechanism it must be Magal Yehudoi Right? And why is a mechanism tshuva, mitzvah, tshuva, and yisur have to be megal yichudai? Because the reward is hasuris yichudai. So the Rebbe says the exact amount you megala, you reveal, you testify, that's the exact amount you get leilim habor. Hayluhach. You see how it all beautifully fundamentally works on one idea. And the, the actual, what does this have to do with symptom? Remember, when you do an Avera, what are you testifying? So it's a Nida connected Nida. If you see that you exist also, so what does the Rebbe do? He beats it. He beats it out of existence. He lives. Because you insist on saying you're somebody, so I leave. But when he leaves, then you are at the mercy of what you think you are. You think you're somebody, you help yourself. Let's see how far you get. You see, you know, it's Tzimtzum, which is the act of the versions leaving or entering the Bria, right? Which is really the act of him declaring his oneness, or his... In other words, when he enters the Bria, obviously he is one, and when he leaves the Bria, obviously there's multiplicity. You do that by your very act. It's not like you control a dog that's irrelevant to the action itself. God's leaving the Bria increases the illusion of plurality, and his coming into the Bria decreases that illusion, increases the illusion of his, uh, rather, his oneness. And that's tied to your mitzvahs, your avodah. But wait, your avodah itself testifies to his unity or his lack of unity, which means multiplicity. So you come out that you've, you've now joined three fundamental ideas. The first idea is the schad, the reward, is hasodas yichudai, the avoid in all three forms is only the Gili Yehudah and the reaction in the Avodah in terms of what God does and doesn't do itself is Yehudah when he comes into the Bria there's Yehudah when he goes out of the Bria there's a Hesti Yehudah so it comes out that all three are intimately tied okay now you see how the reward is the same based on Yehudah how the Avedah is based on Yehudah, all three facets of it, and how all Avedah expresses Gil Yehudah, and how the actual mechanism that you control, which means his leaving or coming in, is also Hesti Yehudah or Haoras Yehudah. It's funny, they all keep using the same word Yehudah, because the truth is that they're all the same. And as time goes on, I'll demonstrate how everything is called somehow by Yehudah. But basically, that's what I wanted to do. Is merely wait. Is merely say how the reward is Yehudi. First of all, that Yehudi is the only thing you can be masking in Habo. 
how the reward is completely a Khudel, okay, and how the, the reward is a Khudel as a result, because that's all you can be massive, how the Avodah must be exactly the Asagur itself, which is Gili Khudel, and you see every Mitzvah manifests itself, every Yisurim, every Tshuva, and how the actual thing which you do in the Bria, which is Tzimtzum, is his Yichud or his, his multiplicity, which is called Pirud. Pirud means separation or the idea of multiplicity, okay? That all three are intimately tied. And of course, since your being is not Masik Yerushalayim, which means you're not Masik Yehudai, that by definition is imperfection. So it comes out that when you kick God out of the Bria, so to speak, you become less perfect. And when you bring him in, you become perfect. But that itself has to be understood you know, much more detail later on. This year we'll be, begin dealing with one of the most fundamental and one of the most really fascinating studies of war. And that is, we know that the Avoida, as I mentioned, is Megali Yehudai, or it's Masti Yehudai, which is really testifying Enoid Novadai or Yeshei Novadai, depending if it's a Gilu Hester. And we know that this it operates, or this actually has a real influence in the universe in terms of God's being present or being absent. It is Hesti Yehudoi or Gil Yehudoi. And therefore, that is the act of Tzimtzum, which I had mentioned. The possibility that the presence or the absence of the Rebbe is possible in the first place. And man controls that. Now, what I'm going to do this year is begin to discuss the ideas that if this is true, <coughs> How does that affect history? And I'm going to begin going into discussion of the historical progression of mankind. How do we understand it? And of course, the best way to begin that is always to begin from the beginning. And that is to talk about automation. Automation, we know, had a test, right? And we know that he failed. He ate from the tree which he was not supposed to eat. As a result of that, he was punished. He was punished, Chava was punished, Anachos was punished, and so on. The earth was punished. Okay. How was he punished in what lesson? Well, among the things that the Rebbeinu told Adam was that that in the sweat of your brow, you should eat bread. Now that sounds to us as if the Rebbeinu was telling Adam Rishon, well, since you did not do what I wanted, I'm now going to make it very hard for you to live. Till now it was a free service. Everything was for free. You were in Gan Eden, and everything was there for the picking. However, now, since you didn't listen to me, I'm not going to punish you, and I'm going to make you work for it. Now you have to work hard. You have to sweat to actually make food and so on, to get food, earn a livelihood. That's your punishment. That's what it seems to be in the Torah. But is that really what the Torah is saying? No. is one of the most important statements you find in the Chumash. Because that is Megala, the whole historical progression, or how history proceeds as it does. Where do we see that in Lechem? Sounds like a tall order for such a short posset, or such a short phrase. But if we look at it, we can see that, let's first look at what really happened. The Rebbeinu said to Odom, because you did this, you now have to work for your living. What was the Rebbeinu really saying to him? It wasn't a punishment. It was far greater than that, or rather far different than that. When Adamation came into the world, he looked around, and he, since he was created last, he obviously could not fool himself in saying that I did all this, right? 
He obviously couldn't say that it's all due to me. He couldn't fool himself in that way. There was no illusion that he had done this so that he can actually develop his feelings of grandiosity. No. He was created last. And he was placed into a world that was already finished. So he recognized, of course, instantly that it wasn't him. Because he was placed there at the end. And he knew that all that was, was not a result of his doing, but obviously the result of somebody else's doing. That's number one. And besides that, that the, the Rabbanishim had a very great exposure to Odomarishim. Odomarishim was masked the Rabbanishim to an incredible degree, far more than we are masked today. He understood much more about the Rabbanishim than we. However, there was enough room left for Odom to make a mistake that he also is an independent being. There was enough room for that. And as I mentioned previously, one of the fundamental ideas that Odom Rishon had to understand was that even that which looks different or independent of the Rishon itself exists only because Rishon wants it to, therefore it furnishes the illusion that there's other things besides him. Odom Rishon had to be masik enig mevader. And when Rishon says, you, if you want, you can eat from this tree or not, that there's no such thing as eating from this tree. There's no alternative path that a man can take. And if there is an alternative, that itself is only created to give man the illusion that it exists. But as soon as man would do it, he would find out that there was no tree, there's nothing else in the first place. But Odin didn't realize that. So, we are defining what? That every avoid is Megali Yechudai or Masti Yechudai, correct? That's our fundamental definition. So therefore, if that's true, there has to be true also in Odin's case. Odin ate from the tree, so what he said, in effect, was that there's an independent will. There's my will too. There's an independent path. You can eat from the tree. It's true that the Rosham knows better than I do, but I really listen to him. But the God's superiority is not a statement of God's absolute existence. So he didn't listen to the Rosham. So therefore, what was Adam Rishon? What did he do? He was Masti Yehudai. He hid the, the unity of God as a soul entity that exists and he declared besides the revelation there's also me there's this tree there's an independent Watson there's independent directions that I can take besides the one that are offered by God they may not be great but they're independent they exist also so the revelation told him that because you did this and you testify I will now do exactly what you testify. I am now going to structure reality with a much greater Hester, the very Hester that you declared. Reality will now take on that form or that shape. So, until now, Odin Rishon, he would take food or whatever, he knew it was from the Islam. But if, what happens if I say, look, that I'm not giving you anything anymore. You must work for it then all of a sudden the illusion of causality takes place. Since it, you will only get food in response to your efforts, it now seems as if you, Taka, got the food by yourself. Because it doesn't come from any other direction, only if you work for it. So there's a new illusion of independent causality besides the Rebbe It fools people. It's like a person who makes a lot of money on Wall Street. Since the only way he made the money is because he put the time and effort into it, he therefore thinks, logically, that it's, he is the true cause. 
because he didn't have it before he worked, and now he has it after he worked. So if it must be that he is a true cause, independent of the Rabbanishlam. So when the Rabbanishlam said, from now on, you must, things will only respond to your efforts, the version is saying that I am now going to reverse or change the structure of reality that it's now only going to come in response to your efforts, not to my will. So it's going to look as if you are really doing everything. So the illusion of causality independent of God was created. Why? Because that was exactly a result of what Adam did. If you declare Yeshua in Nevadai, then the Nebrui is going to reflect that declaration. That it's not going to be, look in the Bria, as if Yeshua Nevada. So it came out that Odin created or changed reality, for, and, and, and he made a greater illusion of Yehuda. So Odin realized that Mishnah received from that. He realized several ideas, and this is really the fundamental ideas that flow from such a, a simple phrase as because what was true for Odin is true for everybody that does a mitzvah and does a chet. That every time you do a chet, you change something in reality. And every time you do a mitzvah, you change something in reality. That either reflects Enel Mavade or Yeshev Mavade. So you can ask me how? That's an incredible statement. So Bezir Sapecho reveals certain fundamental ideas. The first thing it reveals is that man is the true cause of what happens, and that's why it happens. Not to abolition change the Bria because he wanted to. It will result of man's actions, his myself. So therefore man is a true cause. That's the first fundamental idea that it reveals. The second fundamental idea that Bezer Sapecho reveals, after the idea that man is a true cause, the second idea is that the Avodah the Avodah, whether it be mitzvahs, whether it be tshuva or yisurim, doesn't make a difference. Since the Avodah itself testifies to gili yehudoi, or uh, uh, gili yehudoi, or hesti yehudoi, therefore, the Avodah itself actually either removes God from the Bria, or brings the devotion back into the Bria. And that's the idea of the regulation of tzimtzum. That by your Avodah, what you do, if you do a mitzvah, you declare God is only one that exists. So therefore, that actually brings God, the back into the Bria. That's Gil Yehuda. That's one act of Simpson, where the Russian reveals himself more to the Bria. And we'll understand what goes further down the line after that. And when, Rebush, when you do an Avera, that is the mechanism and the opposite. You can, remember, because you control the Simpson or the appearance or the concealment of the Russian himself in the Bria. When you do Avera, since the Avera declares Yeshev Novadai, I do my will, right? So therefore, besides the version, there's also an independent will, namely mine. So therefore, if there's an independent will, it means there's an independent being besides God. So the version says, okay, you think you're somebody? So therefore, I have less room to be in the Bria. I will remove myself. So therefore, the version is Masti Yehudai. That's Timsum. Either God comes into the Bria, or God comes out of the Bria, that possibility of re- revelation or concealment of the version is Simpson, and you control that by your Avodah. Because your, your Avodah says either Gili Yehudoi or Esti Yehudoi, by turning the dial either way, therefore the version is either into the Bria or is out of the Bria. So it comes out that 
the most fundamental operation of all is Simpson. If God comes into the universe, or if God remains outside the universe, and you control that by your Aveda, because your Aveda is Megali Chudai, which reveals God is unique in the universe, so the worship says, okay, I will now reveal my presence more, or the Yichud of my presence, or your Aveda testifies for Ket. Yishud no Vadai. You do not vary, so your master is Yichud. Also, your will exists. So the Rajan removes himself. So this is a fundamental operation in the Bria, obviously, is Simpson. And you control it. Now, what happens when God leaves the Bria and when God comes into the Bria? That's the next idea to understand. What happens there is that the structure of reality must mirror God's appearance or his disappearance. And what happens is that the events that are trying to the historical events in history that are trying to hide the Rebbeinu's presence, and I'll give you one example. For instance, the emergence of a new religion, like Christianity or Mohammedanism, that obviously is a steer to the Rebbeinu's Yehuda. Besides the fact that Christianity declares destroys the whole Torah and says Trinity and so on, but the fact is, when Rebbeinu, as a result of the Jews' chet, what happens? The Rebbeinu goes out of the Bria which gives the forces that are trying to achieve a Hesdi Yehudai success and lo and behold, bam, Christianity is Matzliach, Mohammedism is Matzliach, Atheism is Matzliach. In other words, whoever is whoever's propagating those ideas, all of a sudden, the version gives them a kill. They actually continue to exist. Those historical events that declare Yeshua Ibn Vadai succeed because the version left the Bria. So it comes out that all historical events either mirror the Yehud version or disguise or conceal it and depending on what the Jew does and therefore the version is an effect in the Bria or out of the Bria subjective of course to the person that will give the success to one of two directions. It either gives success to those forces which are trying to destroy God Okay, or those forces which are trying to promote God in many different forms. And I'll get into nine different kinds of ways we can even look at that. And through this all world history is all based on that. And that's how we understand the deterioration of history in terms of God's getting more more concealed. But in any case, and we see it reflected by other mission, that you affect the structure of reality. Because the version says now the historical or now the reality is that you have to work to make a living. Which means the illusion of causality is there. Because now it looks that something will only respond to your efforts. So therefore you think you're talking the one who did it. So who, who, who changed that reality structure? Odom. He did it by his chet. Since the chet is master Yehudon, and therefore he, he threw the rebellion out of the Bria, it gave success or changed reality to be master Yehudon. That is the fundamental idea of history. That's the... That's that's the thing that that's what happens when as a result of Tzimtzum God in the Bria or out of the Bria one of the things of course that changes is history and that's what I'm trying to imagine now now besides that besides history which goes back and forth depending on the Jews of their mitzvahs okay there's other things that go on also first of all if the version is Masti Yehudai which immediately means that events which try to hide God's unity, forces of whatever, you know, force, religion is one, other religions and so on. What happens also is that evil increases. 
Because what is evil really? When a person is left on to his own idea that he is somebody, then if I am somebody, then there are two fundamental drives in all individuals. That is the drive to assert their own grandiosity, and the second is the, deri the drive to derive pleasure from the world. Gaivan Taiva, if you want to use the words for it. Okay? Those are the two fundamental drives in all humans. Is the Gaiva is the assertion of his omnipotence, and Taiva is the fulfillment of his drives, of his desires, which is nothing more than an expression of his omnipotence anyway. But once the devotion goes out of the Bria, right, and the person begins to think he's somebody, then all of a sudden these ideas of Gaiva and Taiva become not controlled. And as a result of that, Nishundigal evil occurs murders and robberies because all crime is nothing more than the expression of a person's gaivan taiva that's all it is basically crimes are committed because he's asserting his curiosity he's trying to get something in terms of pleasure basically it's all what boils down to those two and that occurs because of course the events which hide the Islam and therefore create the illusion of man's independence is there as a result of a previous chatoim so therefore he again, of course, his guide and Taiva now become more manifest, they become unchecked. So therefore more evil, mamish evil, goes into the Bria in the sense that we know it. A crime and so on and so forth, mamish evil things. So that's a second thing that happens as a result of the fact that the Bonishlam is not here, or the fact that it has the Yehudai. A third thing that happened is that as a result of the fact that the Bonishlam is no more here, we have less of an understanding of the Rebbeinu himself. And you'll notice that Torah itself is slowly being forgotten by Klai Yisrael. The difference between the knowledge that was known by Tana and by us is absurd in terms of comparison. Why? Because if the Rebbeinu needs the Bria, it means that your ability to be masik him leaves the Bria. And the Emtsoi to be masik him leaves the Bria. So therefore, Torah is much less. Because Torah really is our soul of the Rebbeinu that's why the historical forces that try to destroy Torah, burn the Talmuds and so on and so forth, succeed because the Hasug of the Rebbe must be less since you just kicked the Rebbe out of the Bria with your verse. So that's the third way it changes. Your Hasug changes. The fourth way is that there's a Rebbe in Aveda. Did you ever wonder why Odom had only one mitzvah, Noach had seven mitzvahs, the Jews by Matan Torah had Tayag mitzvahs, and then after him there was the Xeris and Takonis of the Chachomim. The Torah seems to be getting more and more, not less and less. And not only that, after you get finished with that, you have Minhogum of the places, and you have Egin Chumas, and you have anything, Torah seems to have proliferated much more in terms of the mitzvahs than it was then. Why? The answer is that since each mitzvah is supposed to combat a certain aspect of Yehuda, which I'll explain in the next year, right? So it comes out that the more hesti you have, the more mitzvahs you have to have to combat the new, the new hester that comes into the Bria. So in the beginning there was very little hester, so Adam needed one mitzvah to understand the Gil Yehudah. But as time went on, Neuch needed seven. Then everybody needed Tayyad. Then you needed the Gzeris of Chazal. You keep needing more and more mitzvahs to uncover more and more hester that, that is coming about because you're free the Gavirus. So your Avrida your itself is based on how much Hester and how much Gila there is in Ubriya. That's why you see this change. Okay? That's the fourth idea. 
what else changes as a result of the fact that God removes himself from the Bria or comes back to the Bria subjectively it means we perceive him less because he's all, always all around when we perceive him less means Hesti Yehuda we see him more of course means Gili Yehuda what else happens <clears throat> man if you recall that when I said that uh, that Rebotion created a man not Sholem he created him in capacity of a certain level but then he reduced that level to only a potential because he wants man to be mushing himself he wants man to work on himself and therefore he will earn the merit of that and may we call what I said what was the definition of his chasan what did God take away that he has to actually actualize and the answer was the fact that he is masik the Rebunisham less so that actually changes the very nature of being of man right well if you recall that after Adam did the chet he changed physically he became a different person <clears throat> Adam was much different in a physical way Chumah was different before the chet than after the chet there were actually changes that happened in the Adam himself because as the Hester gets greater because of his chet then automatically the version leaves the Bria which is the fundamental operation which automatically that you become more you change to reflect that Nuchasan so therefore your being changes you become more physical and there are many physical changes that occurred in the Bria even after Noach men could now eat meat and that's a greater change of physicality it's getting less more physical less and less for the Islam. so his physical being actually changes his Teva changes because that reflects the Chasan that he has because God is, is concealing his presence more and more so that's the sixth idea the seventh idea which really has repercussions you know yeah, needs a whole shear for itself is that the Demus Odom changes the so-called man changes what does that mean? one of the ideas one of the ideas of man in terms of B'Tselem Elokim remember God said Nasa Odom Salmenukim Yuseinu well without getting into that because that's a really profound statement one of the ideas that we reflect the Rabbi Islam, which means one of the ideas that a Dmus Odom what does a human the concept of humanity reflect is Seichel reasoning rational that's the difference between man and animals but when the Rebbeinu removes his presence, what he really is also doing is removing your similarity to him. In other words, you are no more preoccupied with ideas. You're preoccupied with taiva. And that again is what changed. That as you'll notice through the, his, the, the whole progression of history, what changes is man, especially now you see the obvious, man has no more delights in ideas. Like, you know, if a person has nothing to do, what's he going to do? So everybody goes straight for the TV or they go, they, they, it's all taiva now in the, in the time before when there was no TV or whatever then people would sit down and talk about things, about ideas philosophy was a very big subject in, in very many years ago not because, because people appreciated it they could actually sit down and talk about it and like you talk about the weather or something like that they were interested in other words, Odin was a more sikhli bigger being his kohar sikhli was greater his sensitivity that ideas were more important than the fulfillment of his tyrus was more apparent to him because he was much greater than Mus Odom he resembled the Rebbeinu greater but that also diminished because of the Hester that, that a person creates because of his Chatoim which affects the presence or the concealment of God which must affect your Dmus itself okay that's seven different ways that when you 
start off at Tzimtzum. means when you do an Avera, which is their mechanism itself, you do an Avera which declares your will. means I do an Avera, means I want to do what I want to do. Which in effect declares your independence from the Rebbein because he who has an independent will is independent. That in effect removes the Rebbein from the Bria subjectively. means all of a sudden his presence is not felt. And that kicks off a whole chain of events. And I've explained seven of them. The first is that all history begins reflecting that concealment. And that is a true fundamental principle, determining principle of all history. Well, the second idea is, uh, is that fact that evil is greater proliferation because man now begins to believe he's everything. So therefore he now can fulfill all his gaivan taiva. As a result of that, many events are downright evil. Made with sikhs and genevas and incredible evil that one man has against the other. Because now he can do what he wants, which is gaivan taiva. Then the hasogas yechudoi, the ability or the comprehension of the Rosham is affected. And that affects itself in the fact that all of a sudden terror is in the Shtakach Yisrael. That's why. Not an accident that we're forgetting terror or we know less than Tanoim. That's a reflection of the Hester that we are ourselves putting into the Bria. The Avoidah becomes Meruba. There's more Avoidah now. Because the Avoidah is the only thing that can combat all this Yichud, this Hester. So you need more Avoidah to combat more Hester. That's why you have a tremendous proliferation of Avoidah itself. Okay. Besides that, you have the physical substance of man changes, and the dmus odom changes. Ah, and I said six. I left one out. That as a result of this multi fundamental, I left one out. I said six. There's one thing that automatically changes. You'll notice that if all of a sudden, if the next, you know, let's say a man does an avera, right, and the next year reality changes. I think Adam Rishon right? All of a sudden, Adam is now outside of Eden and he's in the illusion of causality. Now, anything will only come to him. So even if he knows because he thought was before that right? Clara, and then the reality now changes to create the illusion of causality, but his son won't be as gifted as him. He can fall great into the illusion, right? You'll notice that the avoid is harder. It's harder to be Berchelatoyev. It's hard to separate all this garbage and see that the Rebbe is the only one. So it comes out that the Nisoyen, the Matzah, the, the, the situation of the Nisoyen is now harder the next minute than it was before because there are now greater illusions of reality. So other nation created a Matzah Nisoyen more difficult than when he had entered into the Bria. So the Matzah Nisoyen changes. It's just like now, because there's so much incredible Ra around, it's much harder to be a Fumid. Which means that it's harder to get Elam Habo. So the Nisoyin itself changes. The situation, the test situation that I find myself, itself now looks different. It's harder to get Elam Habo. Now, if the Rebellion decides to give you a second chance, it's because he's a Chesed. Because the whole opportunity to work is a Chesed, even though you can only get through Din. If, he, if you muffed it the first time and he gives you the other mission, the second chance, that's a chesed. The reason I give you a chesed, I'll give you another opportunity. But justice demands, wait a minute, this man must experience in that second opportunity what he calls in the first. And that is a diminishing of his, a diminishing of Gilead. So Jerusalem is okay, you're right. So the second situation now must be harder in order to reflect din. Automatically it must be harder. 
So the Nesoyim gets harder. So even though the Bereshim gives you a second chance, which is his chesed, but din must ultimately mean a sky, and you can't, wouldn't you? It's not fair. The guy's going to get the same easy test they had in the beginning, so then what's the whole point of this din? Nay. So therefore the Bereshim has to be mastier, or has to agree to the din, and master zichudu in the Bria itself, which makes your test much harder the second time around, and even harder the third time around, and harder the fourth, and we keep going down and down. Okay. Those are the seven ideas, at least seven of them, that is a result of the Rebbeinu hiding his Hester, which is a result of your Avera in the first place, which is what he set up to reflect what you will get in Habra. See the complete tie? Okay. Let's go now a little further into that. Let me now begin to go into some more details, especially the historical reflection. And we've come to a very interesting principle, which is really unheard of. And all historians don't operate by this. All historians try to look for the economic interpretation of history, the political interpretation of history, the military interpretation of history, and so on. These are the forces that change history. Why is there a depression? Why was there World War II? And on and on. And I'm saying that this is not true. That those are merely the tether manifestations of what goes on before. What is that? The Chatoim and Mitzvahs of the Jew. Now, I want to make just one statement. That only the Jew can control Tzimtzum. Therefore, all this results. A Goy has no shaykhah to Tzimtzum. means a Goy can only affect Elam Hazer, not Elam Habo. I shouldn't say a Goy. I should say that whoever has the bris, the covenant, the agreement with the Rebbe that if you do what I say, I will give you Elam Habo, whoever entered that agreement has that power. And Odlum was the first one, then everybody else didn't, and then Avram was the next one. And that was the Brisbane Absalom. These people who have that agreement, now you understand the significance of that agreement. So that's not you have an agreement, okay, I broke my word, you break yours. No. From your breaking your agreement, the whole reality has changed. So therefore, the only people in that agreement, and in effect, of course, who's the only one today who has that agreement? Only Jews. So only a Jew can actually create symptoms and thereby affect all these seven different stages. Not Goyim. If a Goyim wants to affect that, then he must become a Jew. Then he can also do the same idea. Affect the symptom or how much the version is in and out, and therefore affect history. But Goyim cannot do that. They can only affect Elam Hazet. Not the symptom, the Kiruv of the Rechot to Rebbeinu Not a Kiruzet, not one iota can they affect. That's why the Jew is such a powerful instrument. And now that's what the Gemara means, that if a ship sinks off, sinks somewhere in the Yam, it's because Yidin did Chatoim. What does that have to do with Chatoim? Now you understand, because the Gemara is important to an insignificant event, a ship sinking in the Yam. What does that have to do with Jews? Name. Every iota that happens in the Bria must reflect the Gilu Yichud Rebbeinu But the only ones who have access to that is the Jews. So ultimately it's the Jews. Because of the Eden, Charlemagne became king of France, or something like that. It only works that way. Because if the Goyim have not sugar what's going on. And that's why also it says that if the Goyim knew what was going on, what kind of chorum the Eden are making in the Bria, as a result of the Echatoim, they would assign two big bulvan going to each Jew and force them to do the mitzvahs. Because it affects them also, not only the Eden, but of course they don't. Adraba. The Goyim are machter the Eden even more. 
That's why they, they, they are, in effect, are destroying themselves more. So the idea that this idea of symptom only a Jew can do or anybody is in that agreement, and that a great cannot do it because he's therefore not in the agreement. And again, the idea that all history, even a ship sinking, is dependent on the Jew. And again, the idea that if the great knew this, this whole world would look different. Then Reagan wouldn't bother with foreign politics. He'd collect every Jew in the world and assign 15 people to each one and they beat that Jew if he doesn't do a mitzvah. Because that's mamish what happens to the Bria. Okay. And you begin to look at history, you notice that there's a constant deterioration of the presence of the Bria to the Bria. Okay? So going back, let's say, 2,000 years, look at the Chorban bias. The Jews did a verse, wham. So God says, okay, you do a verse, I will remove my presence from this Bria. How? From my house. His house is wiped out. Again, as a result of the Hester. I want to make one more mention, which is also very fundamental. It's very interesting, but Jews have tired mitzvahs. Do you know that every mitzvah, since it's Megala, a certain yichud of the Rebbein that's why there's Tayyad, because there's 613 general ways of being Megala, 613 general ways of yichud or Hest yichud or whatever. Every time a Jew does an Avera, there's an exact yichud that that Jew is master. That reflects itself in the Bria. Not a general yichud, but that exact yichud, Hester, that the Jew did, reflects itself. So if one can figure out what each mitzvah is Megala and Master, you can mamish write your own history book for the next 2,000 years. Because that's really what it is. Like the Gemara says, why was the base of Megdish destroyed? Because of Sinas Chinam. What does that mean? Somehow, if you, if you have Sinas Chinam, you are Megala the Yichud in such a way where the base of Megdish must be destroyed. Except you have to figure it out. So it comes out that by knowing not only that the Jews did others, but precisely which others they did, you can figure out what's going to happen down the generations in all these different areas. Okay, let's put that aside. Let's get back to history. So now, the Chubin bias was obvious, the first, or not the first, but certainly I'm only starting from there, first kind of idea. The next test you find after the Chubin is that all of a sudden there's a machine domination and persecution by Goyim on Yidin. That's again a Hesti Yehuda, because the version promises that only Jews are my nation. Well, the Romans lachzachos in the version, Titus laughed on God, because he, he, he did what God said couldn't be done, and he did it. So the domination persecution is the Mudik Hester, again brought on the The next idea, okay, you had your house destroyed, there, there are nations dominating and persecuting, you still don't know them, we kick you out of Eretz Yisrael. That's where the Gullus begins. That's the next idea of Hesti Yehudai, where the Jews must wander. And the Christians, Taina Adnabai, see? They are a cursed nation. Adnabai, forget. Because they must wander. But the truth, of course, is that it doesn't do, of course, with that. But it's again, it's a further reflection of Hester that must express itself in history. So when the Jews do Chatoim, all of a sudden, whatever forces made them go into exile, is succeeds, Nebuchadnezzar succeeds to kick the Jews out of this world. But who gives him the force? The Jews. And that's what it's meant. Remember when Yaakov, when Yaakov gave the bracha to Esau? He said, if Yaakov is greater, he does the Torah, then you will be weak. But if he doesn't do the Torah, you will be strong. What is the seesaw business? That's the seesaw. Except, 
The Caesar is when Jews do mitzvahs, you are weak because the version is in the Bria. There's no success for any event, any nation which wants to be Nasti Yehuda, especially Rome, which is the personification of Esau. When Jews do a chet, then Esau becomes powerful, which means that Rome, which is Esau, now can succeed in doing anything. So it becomes a world power. So then what, what was Yitzhak Mechadish, I should say? He wasn't Mechadish, the idea of Tzimtzum, that they pulled the stunt, the Sisu effect, no. But he gave Esau the blessing, he says, you will have particular domination over Yaakov. That's why Rome is the greatest empire of all, and that's why it lasted 2,000 years. Because Yaakov gave, Yitzchak gave Esau the brochum that when the Russian decides to influence a nation which will be Masti's Yichud by taking over Israel, he's going to look with a special favor on you. So that's why your dominion and your persecution will be the greatest of all. That's what Yitzchak was really telling Yaakov. Not only the idea that if Yaakov is not doing his mitzvahs, he, the nations will have dominion as one form of the Hester. But that you Asa will have particular dominion in the best one of all. And it is. There's nothing that even looks like the dominion of 2,000 years of Golas, which is the Shibut of Asa, of Rome. And that's what really Asa is. Anyway, getting back to backtracking here. So therefore, that's another idea of Hester, is the actual Golas itself. The rise of other religions is another form of Hester, which again began around then. The whole rise and success, all of a sudden Christians, Christianity and Muslim has the money, they don't want to take over the world and try to spread their religion, they are given kur again because of the Hester. The rise of governments that espouse atheism also again is because of the Hester, only because of that. That's another historical event, which governments succeed. So that government, which is more evil than next, will tend to have greater success if the Eden gave them power. And of course, therefore, Russia is so successful because it's, it espouses atheism, which is the greatest evil of all, which is the antithesis. There is not a Hester Yehudai, it's a Hester Mitziusai. They deny the existence of God. They don't say that we are equal to God because we are as strong as Him. Besides Him, there's us. No, there is no Rebunishlam. That's Hester Mitziusai, which we'll talk about. But since they're the ones who want that, the Bolsheviks, so the Russian gives them Hatzlocha to become a world power because of the Hatoyim of the Eden. Again. So again a historical event. Besides those, you have the idea also, and this is very fundamental, people Bechlal who are into propagating themselves, you know, they're into living, they're into enjoying life and so on, they have success and Tzaddikim have no success. Again, that's part of the Hestor. That the Tzaddik who you think deserves Tariq, he has a miserable life. So then the God goes, and then other Eden say, look, how, how can we say the Russian has dominance? He can't even give truth to Tzaddikim. So therefore, we won't do mitzvahs. You see? So they themselves create the matzav where to be master Yehudi, which means to give less success to Tzaddikim, so then Caius will find itself a new matzav nisor, which is even harder to be bircha. Because now it's not so obvious that there's an Elam Habwa, because Tzaddikim are suffering. But Tzaddikim's suffering itself is a reflection of Hester, and that is especially prevalent today, where yeshivas have no money, with Torah mamish languages, that itself is a Hester of the Rabbani Shalom. That Torah is dread, like they say, okay? And everything else which is connected to is enjoying a heyday. That's Moody Hester Yehudo. But again, this is why. The success of Rishon, those people who want to enjoy everything, they're Gaivan Taiva, 
And the non-success or the failure of Sadiqim is another reflection of Hester, which the Jews create. Another reflection of Hester, which we see especially prevalent today, <clears throat> is the rise of materialism and narcissism, which you see in community today. The success of materialism, which America stands for, and narcissism, which McDonald Hamburger stands for, have it your way. That's a moody narcissistic statement that you know, forget about everybody else. Everybody must cater to you. You love yourself, you know. I mean, we, all, we have to make a hamburger designed for your particular preference because you are the most important thing. That's a moody narcissistic statement that I am everything. Before even McDonald's with their 10 billion hamburgers has to conform to me and design a hamburger made for me. Th- that whole idea of have it your way is machinery and narcissism. So the Hatzlucha of these propaganda, you know, all the forces, all the businesses or whatever, or, or all those people who are saying, you know, the, 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 the emergence of narcissism and so on and so forth, is Mishudik Matzliach. So the growth of materialism and narcissism itself is a Muridik Hester. Because the person is infatuated himself. I mean, not only he's the only one that is, I mean, he loves himself. Okay? That's a further idea of Hester. And one other idea of Hester, which is Muridi, which is one of the greatest of all, is the, is, the, is the success of science and industry. Why do you think science and industry developed so late? Do you ever ask yourself, why is it that 9 out of 10 science who ever live, live now? What is it? For the last 5,500 years, the world, there was, there, wasn't, there was very little difference between a person who lived in 1650 and a person who lived in, in ancient Egypt, in terms of how he satisfies his needs. There wasn't much of a difference. They all had to live in... There wasn't that much of a qualitative difference. Well, he had a fancier coat, you know, he had a fancier outhouse, but he still had an outhouse, you know. The idea of true sophistication in a qualitative way is expressed by the machine rise, what's called the Industrial Revolution and the Science Revolution. But that's a moody Hester, because now man can explain all phenomena based on science. That's not the world that they're on. No, 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 he doesn't have to pray to God to get things. He can just flip a switch and the light goes on. He can do it himself. He doesn't have to wait for God. The, the, the advancement of science and the advancement of industry is the greatest Hester of all. And that's why atheism could grow in such an incredible Hester. And that's why Yidna is so moody downtrodden. Because it's very hard to combat science and industry. It's very hard to combat America with all its incredible materialism. So science and industry, which of course comes at the end, is the greatest history of all. And that's why the world is so machinic absent of the Rebbein Shalom. And why is there? Because finally the Khatun of Eden was so great that it gave the success to all those forces of evil, or forces that are trying to say we don't need God at all. We can do our own thing. And we can understand the Bria without God. And that's really science and industry. It's really what it is. And that was given impetus because of the Chatoim of the Eden. So that's another form of Hester. But you begin to see the progression of history, how everything really proceeds from the notion of the Chatoim of Eden as Eden get worse and worse because of the own Chatoim, so the Mats of Nisoyim gets worse and worse. History must reflect that through true historical events. The Hester which is going on, and of course, the Nisoyim gets harder and everything else gets harder as a result of that. So therefore, one can understand the entire idea of Hester, the Tzimtzum, 
as much the fundamental historical principle of the Bria, and one can actually study Jewish history that way. So therefore, one comes to a conclusion, there seems to be, in reality, one could look at the stages of history in terms of the stages of the progression of Hester. In the beginning, by Odom Rishon, there was Hester Yehudai. That was in the beginning. But just enough that Odom could fool himself, that he could think he also is independent. As he got worse, it got worse. But only in Yehudai. Yehudi got worse. And therefore, history began to reflect Yehudai. But as time went on, not only was Yehudai missing, but Mitzi'use was Hester. So first is Hester Yehudai, in all its many stages. Then after a while is Hester Mitzi'use. There's no more Eilei Mavadai. There's no more Yeshe Mavadai. There's not even a Yeshe Oid. There's just me. There's just man. And now the world is into a Hester Mitzi'use. But in the Zman of the Mashiach, it's going to be the reverse. There's going to be a Gino Yehudai, in terms of a Shlita, that the Russian will reveal himself as the absolute power force in the Bria, and in Olam Habola is going to be Yichud Mitzi'usai, when you realize that only the Russian has existence at all. You see the reverse. So history is really nothing more than a progression of Hester. In the beginning it's Hester Yehudai, it works its way down, deteriorates till Hester Mitzi'usai, until Mashiach arrives where it becomes Yichud Shlitasai, and then Yichud Mitzi'usai. It's nothing more. And of course Hester reflects itself in a sense that what gives me Hester is that there are other objects and other forces that are going on. Then the next form of Hester is that these forces are stronger than God. And the next Hester, of course, is that there are only these forces, no Rabbanishnam, as Hester Mitzu said. That's the whole idea. And one can sum it up in this way. The Rabbanishnam says, mm-hmm. in the end of days, he says, Evolution says openly, you know, even, you don't even have to think about it, that in those days I am going to hide myself. Not that is not hiding himself, he's been doing that, that's the steady progression through history. But he's really going to hide himself in the Akhosayam. How do you know? Because it's a double Russian Hester. So you can look at that three ways. First, there was always a Hester of Yehudai. But on Rechi Haste Asta, there'll be a new Hester of Mitzi'usai. So that's a double Russian Hester. Hester Yehudai and Hester Mitzi'usai. Two Hester. The second idea you can look at uh, the two Hesterim is that the, I will be concealed not only from the non-observant Jew, but even from the observant Jew. Even the Jew who wants to do what he wants to do the mitzvahs, you don't see the Rebbe anymore. So not only from the girl and the Fayyid, it's even from the Fumayyid. So again you have two Hesterim. And the next level is that not only will the next Hester, again a double Hester, not only will there be a Hester of Fumayyid, but there will be a Hester of the Rebbe in themselves. They themselves don't even see the Rebbe Islam. And that's why he comes in the end and says, Tzadik be'emunu si yichya. That in the end, the only thing that Tzadik's got to live on is his own imuna. Because even he himself doesn't have a presence of the Rebbe Islam, that he himself knows the Rebbe exists. He himself must come onto the imuna. So the double notion of Hester can indicate different ways. Hesti tiyusa, a Yehuda Hester metiyusa. Then Hester of Freya and Goyim and Hester of Firma. And Hester Frumer versus Hester of the Tzaddik himself. That's how bad the Hester is going to be in, uh, in, in Asa Levite.